Hey folks, welcome back. Today, zooming in from beautiful Mississauga, Ontario, we've got a fellow rent-to-own real estate operator, Mr. David Pereira, who has done a bunch of different stuff with real estate investing, but these days he focuses on, I believe what you call tenant-first rent-to-own deals. Is that correct, David? Yeah, so tenant-first is the way to go. And uh, thanks for having me, Dave, as I was mentioning to you offline. Uh, I love the breadth of guests you have on this show. And uh, whenever I'm in the car for 20 minutes, I pop on an episode and it's kind of crazy the little tidbits you pick up from people all over North America. Well, that is wonderful. Thanks for the kind words, David. And it's an honor to have you on the show. So let's get started with your real estate investing background. Uh, what got you into this wild and wacky world of real estate investment? So 2013 was the first uh, triplex we purchased. What got me into it, I think, was I'd always, so I was in the corporate world. Yeah. Wanted to make money somehow else. Uh, dabbled in the stock market, played poker, uh, <laughs> did a bunch of things, didn't right. really see um, significant results. Then I think I saw. So, so you weren't on Poker Stars, were you? Uh, no, that was the goal, but uh, never, never quite got there. <laughs> Um, I think I saw an ad for, for the rain conference. So Don Campbell yeah. attended one of their weekend workshops and that opened my eyes to the whole new world, met a bunch of people. I don't think I took action right away. I think I went to one more conference or started going to some other meetups. Um, then I met my wife on sort of an alternative track. I kind of met my wife. Um, she had a condo. I had my condo started planting the seeds of real estate with her. Yeah. And she said, well, if you want to go together and buy a house, we need to get married. Uh, so <laughs> that was a bit of a forcing function. That's quite that's quite the joint venture there, I tell you. Yeah, what. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was the first time a, a joint venture partner really put an ultimatum in front of me <laughs> and, and made me sign the contract. That's right. Uh, but uh, we did it. We actually had kind of like the, the quick wedding in my parents' backyard, but it was all legit. And then we had our real big Indian wedding months later. But at that point, once we had our quick wedding, she was comfortable to move forward. And about a, two months later, we we had our triplex in Hamilton, Ontario. Nice. All right. So going from a triplex to now you are a rent-to-own real estate investor. Tell me a little bit about that and, sure. and why you decided to go from small multifamily type properties into single family rent-to-own deals. So it was, I think like most real estate investors, it was never a straight path or it never is a straight path, right? I think yeah. you sort of wind around, you try different things. Uh, we have a duplex in Kitchener, we've got condos. So we've got different things. I read about rent-to-own back in 2013. My Our realtor who bought us the triplex is Mark Loeffler. And oh, he yeah. literally yeah. wrote a book on rent-to-own, which yeah. I read. I, I, I read Mark's book. I took yep. Mark's course. I got into rent-to-own real estate investing, client for tenant first, client first. Yeah, yep. definitely. Yep. So I read the book 10 years ago and knew of it. Uh, fast forward to 2020, I'm hanging out with a, a friend of mine who I worked with in, in corporate world, uh, going back to poker, he and I were, were playing cards and uh, we were talking and discovered that each of us had done real estate stuff on the side. So we said, well, let's work together, pool our money, pool our resources, time okay. and figure something out. So we looked at a bunch of strategies. We looked at pre-con condos and did a bunch of stuff. Nothing really sort of fit the bill for us. So, so you kind of dabbled a little bit in different things. So you guys dabbled did a few other deals? Investigated, not oh, actually okay. just put money. Research. We were just, yeah, a ton of research, but just didn't find yeah. anything that really suited us and kind of our priorities. Heard Rachel on a podcast 
about Rachel Rentone. I'm sorry. I heard Rachel Oliver on a podcast right. who I know has been on uh, your show as well a couple of times uh, talking about rent to own. And of course, the rent to own bell went off my head because I read the book years ago. I love the idea of win, win, win. I love the idea of helping someone earn home, earn home ownership. Yeah. That night I messaged Rachel. Um, she and I quickly traded notes, had a conversation. Uh, I got onto her investor list. And shortly after, uh, we bought the house that's behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, this house you can see right here, uh, it's in Brampton. Uh, my uh, joint venture partner and I, we bought it. Uh, I went to it once during the inspection. Yeah. Since then, I've never been there. It's been the easiest kind of money we've made in real estate, totally passive. Um, and so that was our first foray into, into rent to own. Sorry, what year was that again, David? 2020. So it's actually, yeah, so it's a three-year deal, uh, yeah. finishes uh, in a couple of months. Okay, very cool. So where has your rent-owned business gone since 2020? So since 2020, we decided to become operators. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons we were we decided to do that was because Rachel was so successful uh, and she's done a phenomenal job of her business that her investor list is large and she puts out a deal and it's snapped up in three minutes or less. Yeah. Um, and we realized, well, hang on, we've got friends and family and colleagues that probably want to passively invest. Um, why don't we kind of move forward and become operators? We, we, we've already been the investors. We know a good chunk of what we need to know. Let's hire a coach, fill in the gaps and actually make it a business. So we did that. We, uh, hired Elizabeth Kelly, um, who was our coach and just helped us fill the gaps and asked us all the questions that we didn't really have answers to. We asked a bunch of questions that we didn't have answers to, got some answers, got the contracts done, and then made a go of it. Um, then life got busy, real jobs got busy, so we slowed down. Uh, this Late last year, I decided to focus on a market. Um, so I think you talk about niching down on a regular basis. Yeah. We decided to niche down and focus on Cornwall, Ontario. Okay. So, so tell me a little bit about Cornwall as a city, as a market. Sure. So the reason we got interested in Cornwall is my wife uh, grew up there. Okay. So we go there on a fairly regular basis to, to visit family. Um, and in December, 2021, we were there. I saw some houses for sale, looked it up on MLS and my jaw dropped at how cheap they were. Compared to where looking, you are, because for people that aren't familiar with, with the GTA, Mississauga is part of Toronto, which is... Yep the most expensive real estate market in Canada by yep. far. Yep. So it just, a GTA is probably what five X more expensive than Cornwall. Like I'm not even exaggerating there. Yeah. So then start like, okay, well fine. The home prices are, you can get a decent home for three fifty. What are the rents? And I found that the rents were about 2,200, sorry, 2,000 to 2,200. They mm. had doubled over the pandemic. So COVID was not kind to Cornwall for at least from a renter standpoint. Right. And rents went up pretty uh, drastically. As an investor, though, I found a market where I could cash flow. So we actually bought two properties for ourselves in Cornwall in uh, early 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of- Like long-term buy and hold type properties? Yes, just buy and holds for ourselves, yes. Got it. Okay, yeah. And we built our kind of our power team. So in terms of inspector and all the maintenance people and all that Good. stuff. So I was very comfortable with the market. Uh, in terms of the market itself, uh, an hour from Montreal, an hour from Ottawa, development's happening there. They're putting a Great Wolf Lodge there in about two or three years. Wow. Um, yeah. Immigrant population coming in. So there's a lot of, I think, macro what, factors. What's the, what's the uh, population of Cornwall? I'm, I'm not about familiar. About 70,000. Okay. So it's a, yeah. 
a, a good size small it's city. A, yeah, it's between 60 and 70. It's a decent sized city. Yeah. They haven't had huge population growth, but it's steady and yeah. it's continuing to grow. And again, every time I visit there now, probably once every two months, mm-hmm. um, there is development. Not It's not going super fast, though. Supply is still uh, in su- supply is still short. Yeah. So as an investor, like if cash flow matters to you, it's it's a wonderful market. Um, so then started, okay, well, let me take Cornwall seriously from an RTO perspective, because I know Cornwall as just a buy and hold investor mm-hmm. and started kind of doing the ads and started meeting realtors and different people there and noticed, okay, there's something here. There is a market. Uh, and so then I've had a bunch of, uh, you had mentioned tenant first. So um, I kind of learned from Rachel, uh, kind of following her model to some degree. I like the idea of tenant first because it reduces the risk significantly. So for folks that aren't familiar with that, what does that mean to you? Tenant first, sure. rent own. So tenant first means there is no property in play yet. Uh, the first thing we do is evaluate the tenant buyer. So the tenant buyer is the person who cannot get a mortgage today. Mm-hmm. They have good uh, they have good income, but they don't have the credit score or the down payment to get a mortgage from the bank. So the bank has said no. Right. And what we do is we sort of evaluate their story. So I'll talk to them and understand the story and kind of get the explanation. My mortgage broker will then look at their paperwork and validate the stuff. And he'll come back to me and say, yes, these people are very likely to succeed in a rent-to-own program at this price today. And we're going to assume appreciation of 5% uh, per year. So here is their max price today. Here is their buyback price in three years. So the first step is figuring out are these the people we want to invest in and work with? And yeah. what is their max budget? And we have not found a house yet. We haven't done anything else. That's the first thing we do. So there you go. So that's the tenant first. Makes sense. Exactly. The reason we I prefer that is I don't want to have a property that I'm forced to fill. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's if one month, two months, three months pass by, your decision-making process may waver a little bit because you've got carrying costs. Right. With a tenant first approach, I have no carrying costs. There's no pressure to make a poor decision. Um, and whenever invest, when I find an investor for this person and we do the matchup, um, they go find the property. Everything is kind of on a reasonable timeline where no one feels forced to make some a decision they're not comfortable with. Right. So I'm a big fan of the of the tenant first, and that's that's how we apply it. All right. Perfect. So maybe walk us through how a typical deal works, David, and and sure. Give us some numbers just so people have an idea of why why this is so appealing for you and quite a few other investors as well. Sure. So from an investor standpoint, the kind of the top line uh, approach that we take is we promise our investors, uh, well, so promise, but we can't guarantee for a variety of legal reasons, but we have an estimated 20% annual return. So to kind of break that down, let's assume the home was 500000 which is actually on the high end for Cornwall. But let's assume for a, for a round number. 20% down typically means 100K. Then you've got closing costs and whatnot. Let's say that brings you to 115. Mm-hmm. The invest, we always make sure that our tenant buyer has skin in the game. So if the tenant buyer has skin in the game, we typically look for at least 2% down payment. Uh, in this case, it would be 10,000, but let's just round up to, to 15. So let's assume the tenant buyer has put in 15,000 for a down payment. That 15,000 basically is given, effectively, it cancels out 15K that the investor owns. So we go back to the investor needing 100K to close this deal. Okay. The investor's in for 100K. The beauty about rent to own is the predictability. 
So I know the purchase price today. I know that we're assuming 5% appreciation for the next three years. So 500K today, if we compound 5%, it gets us to like 578. So I know, and the contract states in three years, this tenant buyer is going to buy the house from our investor for 578,000. Got it. Market rent is set. So we have two components. We have the market rent. And when I say market rent, I look, we know Cornwall cash flow. So I know what market rent is. It's easy to validate. So let's I, say on, on this kind of a, a property, give or take, what would the market rent be? 26, 27. Okay. 26, 27. Got it. Yeah. And the the one check I, the one thing I, I run in my model is this market rent needs to cover uh, property tax, insurance, and mortgage, because I want this to cash flow. Mm-hmm. Then addition to that, the whole part of rent to own is to help our tenant buyer save for their down payment in the future. Right. So in this case, they already put in 15,000, which is 3%. We know that in the future, they're buying the house for 578. Right. So they're going to need 5% of that, which is about 28,000 plus closing, plus land transfer tax. They need to get to about 35,000. Okay. Right. They're at 15 today. We have to get them to 35. So that difference is 20K. 20,000. Got it. Yep. So let's divide the 20K by 36 months because it's a three year term. It's a little under $600. So let's assume 600 for our example. Mm-hmm. So each month, our tenant buyer is giving us rent for, let's say, $2,600 yeah. plus an additional option credit of $600. So each month, they're paying us $3,200. Got it. And so we know there's good cash flow coming in. That goes on for three years. So we don't change their rent. We don't change anything. Everything is very stable for the entire term. In three, So about at the 33-month mark, I'm in touch with the tenant buyer on a regular basis. We're doing credit checks. We've hooked them up with a credit counselor. Good, We're visiting good. the property. So there's no surprises. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've got my team sort of checking in on them mm-hmm. and then giving how, how often do they check in on them? Give or take. So for the credit counseling, every six months. Okay. And that they're, uh, they have to show their tax returns, their T4s, their bank statements. Is that, is that typically a paid thing? And if so, I pay for that. Them? You pay for I it. pay for that. That's part of kind of the, what I bring as the operator. Got it. Yeah. And really what the credit counselor is meant to do once they've gone, had their meeting is to let me know green light, everything is fine. Or, hey, yellow light, they bought a truck they shouldn't have bought or something. It could be a red light. (laughs) It could be a red light, right? But if we do it often enough, there should be no surprises. And the reason I say yellow is it can be corrected if it's early on enough, right? With respect to property uh, check-ins. So I have an inspector in Cornwall. Uh, he, I, I have him going every three months. And the reason for three months is uh, really grow up. Um, yeah, sure. We pay yeah. the water bill, but they pay the other utilities. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want any surprises, right? My investor owns this house. My investor is trusting me that this is going to be a good asset for the three years. And it should close in three years and we give it to the tenant buyer. But if something screws up, the investor owns the asset. And so it's mm-hmm. my job to make sure that's still going to be a good asset. Right. Okay, so good. I, yeah. Sorry, yeah, so the ahead. end of close to the end of three years, tenant buyer says, you know what? Everything's good. I'm good to go. Let's move forward. Um, and at that point, we already knew the purchase price. We know kind of all the numbers. Everything was predictable. The only like, again, it's closing costs, land transfer that the tenant buyer is not paying. So we do the uh, disbursements. And like I said earlier, I had promised 20% annual return to my investor. So if they were in for 100 I need to give them at the end of three years, the original hundred plus a total of $60,000 profit. 
Now let's assume I gave them $500 of cash flow each month. So 500 times 36 months is 18,000. So I've already given 18K in cash flow. Mm -hmm. So if my promise is 60K, then I owe them another 42,000. So uh, upon sale. And so right. that's the majority of it will come upon the sale, but a lot of investors are looking for cash flow. So I try and make the cash flow as um, juicy as possible while still making sure everything is sort of moving. Smoothly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not bad in the, in the, in the interim, if they're, they're getting 500 bucks a month, that comes out to be about a 6% cash on cash return sure. yep. year to year. Okay. And yep. plus the bump at the end. Good. Yeah. So again, nice bump at the end. Um, and so again, it's really set it and forget it. Like the, the idea is a hundred percent passive for the investor. Um, they don't have to go visit it if they never want to, that's totally fine. I deal with all the communications and also the management in the middle mm -hmm. in terms of the profit split between the investor and myself. Yeah. It's typically the investor getting anywhere between 55 and 75% of the profit. And I get the 25 to 45. So what will change that is the length of the term, the price of the house, things like that, interest rates. So I take the interest rate risk because I'm just giving 20% year over year. If mm -hmm. rates bump up, I, I have to eat that. But I, I'm okay with that given the, the model that I've got. So are these days with interest rates having gone up quite a bit, are you trying to lock in for the three years so you know exactly what your, what your numbers are? Or are you doing... I generally will lock in for rent own because again, the name of the game is predictability. Exactly. So even though I think rates will go down over the next three years and, and more importantly, smarter people than me in the mortgage industry thinks rates will go down. Um, predictability matters to me and consistency uh, it, matters. Here's, to here's me, what so. I learned, Dave. I don't trust the experts all the time. Right at the beginning of COVID, all yep. the experts said real estate was going to go down 30%. Yep. That didn't happen. So sometimes, quite often, experts are dead wrong. <laughs> well, those two homes that I told you we bought in Cornwall, mm -hmm. all the experts said, yeah, rates are going to go up, but they can't go up quickly because of the, the amount of debt in Canada yeah. and the home yaddy, ownership. Yaddy, 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 yaddy. So I took variable on both those homes at 2.1. And yeah. I just got my letter from Scotiabank where I like 6.5 now or something like yeah. that, right? So. Ouch. Yeah, it it but, sucks, but thankfully Cornwall is a good market where I still you, cash you flow a little live bit. Live and learn. So basically, David, just to get back to the the tenant first rent own deal and how you and your partner make money. So, if we boil it down, the real profits for you guys are based not on cash flow because you're you're pretty much giving your the your investor your joint venture partner almost all of the cash flow, if I'm not mistaken, but that'd be- Yeah, so there's three ways, there's three, I guess, times where I make money on this deal. So upfront, yeah. I charge a fee of 4,000. And to I'll typically- joint venture partner. To the JV partner, yes. Okay, so, that's not a bad idea. So kind of a I deal initiation. In, correct. And I include that in the in their total investment. So, right, the, so they get that back at the end of the exactly. day. Exactly. Got yeah. it. Okay, that's- Then smart. I take, monthly, I probably take about $100, depending again on the structure of the deal and what the investor is looking for. Right. I'll take anywhere up to two, up to 200, but sometimes it's 100. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of the deal, once my investors paid and I've made them whole and they've gone their 60%, then I keep the rest. Right. So that's based on how much the, you've appreciated the property at, how yep. much the mortgage has gotten paid down over the last three years. Yep. That idea. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But again, the nice thing is everything is known, right? We know all the numbers ahead of time. We've, we've taken a fixed mortgage. So I know what the mortgage pay down is going to be because I know the rate. We've already set the purchase price in three years. 
So there's very little um, volatility and it's hard to have a non-volatile investment these days, whether you're looking at the stock market, looking at crypto or looking even at real estate. So, yeah, um, well, it's here's here was I did a very similar model, David, and, and you're right. As long as the market's going up. Yes. That's the volatility, right? Because yep. unfortunately, I got caught with my pants down because this is a completely appreciation based model. So yes, if properties are appreciating at 5% a year, which in Ontario is a fairly safe bet. But if we look at, you know, countrywide averages sure. over 80 years or whatever, it's a lot more like 3%. Yep. And if you're in a more fluctuating market, like Alberta, like many other provinces, like British Columbia, like my area, British Columbia, yep. it sucks when things go flat. It sucks even worse when things go down. So that, sure. that's the only thing that, that a person has to be a little bit prepared for. Well, I think you're okay in. in so I think it goes back to market selection, right? Yeah, Number definitely. one. So you can't like, we're intentionally not trying to operate everywhere. So yeah. number one, the market should cash flow, but number two, there should be good fundamentals. Like there yeah. should be a reasonable reason that this city is going to have 5% appreciation. So that means me talking to the city planner and like, Hey, what are you planning for growth? What are you planning for development? So I've got confidence in the city to the point where we bought two buy and holds ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but things, again, things go out of control. There's a ton of things that are not in our control. So if the deal, let's assume the market does not appreciate. So we do have contingency. One thing we can always do is extend the deal another year. Exactly. Right. And so yeah. we would add another 5%. So the investor, again, is getting, it's it's in their best interest to do so. But we're, we're, we're being reasonable to the tenant buyer as well, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have a good tenant buyer, we want them to continue. We want them to succeed. If the market has kind of slapped all of us on the butt, then, okay, well, there's plan A, plan B, plan C, and all of them can be win-win-wins as long as everyone's reasonable. Exactly. But the one thing I think about rent-to-own is no one is trying to maximize their profits. No one is like trying to get to the 100% of like everything they can get. Everyone's taking a bit of a trade-off so that everyone makes good money. Um, and I love that about the, the model. No, I like, I like the way that you've got it structured. I think that's, um, that that's appealing for your investor. What would you call them? Are they joint venture partners? Are they investors? They're like, in, are you on investors. title? Are you secured on title with a joint venture agreement or anything like that? No, I'm, so I'm, contemplating that because I know there are some rental operators that do that. Others are more kind of the property managers. Right now, I've, I'm a property manager. So yeah. the yeah. Uh, investor is on title. The investor qualifies for the mortgage. Mm -hmm. I may have an agreement that I attach to the mortgage to yeah. make sure they don't sell it without my permission. Exactly. So it's really more for protection of the tenant buyer. Yeah. But at this point, I haven't um, I haven't done the, the JV and I may just keep it that way. Um, I think well, no, There's, that's fine. As long as you've got the agreement that you can attach the to the mortgage, that's as long yes. as they can't get sneaky and sell it out from under you and your tenant exactly. buyer. That would suck. Yeah. So just because I was I played in this field for so long, I'm always curious. Yeah. What are you finding that works best these days, David, for finding these qualified tenant buyers? So a couple of things. One is I'm using Facebook Marketplace. So, okay. so my, my background is marketing. Uh, in terms of corporate world, I, I ran a marketing agency. Uh, be where your audience is, right? Yeah. And then speak your audience's language. 
So if I think about renters who are going to want to be buyers, well, they're going to be looking at Facebook Marketplace for places for rent. Um, and so I have some unpaid ads in there where it's very, it sticks out because everyone else is just posting a picture of their home. Yeah. I've got something around doesn't, doesn't, uh, rent suck or like little sort yeah, of provocative statements. Yeah. Renting sucks. Renting yeah. blows. <laughs> I have a picture of a uh, money being lit on fire. Right. And it's like, do you feel like you're doing this every month? Yeah. Nice. So just, I mean, I'll try and play with different things, but I find that I'll get a bunch of responses to those. And then I've got sort of like an automated thing in my clipboard, literally on my phone, on my clipboard. Anytime I get someone saying, is this available? I'll literally go to my clipboard, paste a little description that takes them to a Google form. The Google form asks them the important questions like how many members in your family, how many uh, members are working full-time, part-time, uh, what is your income? And I'll give them ranges yeah. and how much down payment do you have? And again, I'll give them ranges. So it's pretty easy for me to kind of disqualify or qualify people just by scanning a Google sheet. Nice. Um, and so I think one thing you learn is just there's lots of little ways for efficiency, but you have to kind of go through the pain to figure out what those um, oh, what those models definitely. are. Oh, man, when I was doing this way back in the day, it was not very efficient. <laughs> we did stuff kind of like that, but uh, yeah. Facebook Marketplace didn't exist. So it was right. Kijiji ads and this and that and the other thing. They're just so the the sifting, sorting filtering, weeding through applications was a, a pretty robust task. That's for sure. Yep. So, so what's your best guess on out of a hundred applications that you receive, Yep. how many of them a realistically are qualified and B actually turn into a deal? What, so what uh, of a hundred, I think 10 to 15 could be qualified. Yeah. Meaning I've had the initial conversation and I've said to my broker, hey, here is their profile of these people. Here's all the numbers I know, credit scores, job, blah, blah, blah. Um, do you think it's worth your what? Do you think it's worth them going through the assessment? And so my broker will then look at it and I know what he's looking for. And so whenever I send them something, there's a 99% chance he'll say, yep, makes sense. Yeah. Have them upload their information to this link. Then that's where things can drop off because, all right, we're, you're, it looks like your numbers are good. Now you have to do a bit of work and get yeah. your T4s and your tax returns and NOAs and all that stuff. And that's where, as you know, things drop off. Um, and so, then, let's, so let's say you got 10 of those folks that look good. You've, you're, you've, you've sent three, them to the next thing. We will probably go through the effort of actually submitting wow. their paperwork. So 70% drop off right there. I'm not actually, I'm not surprised, but it's, it's just... Yeah. It's interesting. And I've tried different it. things of like incenting them and said, Hey, if you do the next two weeks, we'll, yeah. we'll, uh, you know what? I don't, I don't even know or... if that's a good idea, David, is it? Because they got to want it. They really need to want it. If they aren't willing to do yeah. a little bit of work, they're going to be a nightmare. So, so I agree with you, right? I don't want to push too hard because to your point, I can't want it more than they do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But people do get busy with life. Um, and, I, I so I don't mind doing a little bit of a nudge into a the direction, but yeah. I won't do a lot for the for the reason you stated, right? They yeah. have to want it. I agree with you. So yeah. of those ten to fifteen who whose numbers look like they could qualify, three may submit their paperwork, and of those three, I'd say two turn into legit deals. There you go. Well, that's so not there's definitely a funnel. That's that's not bad. I mean, it takes a little while at the front to filter through and 
and do that. Well, and that's why the filtering needs to be automated or there, there, there needs to be faster ways to do that. And so I find that my, my Google sheets and just little tips that's and tricks really have been smart. really helpful. The Google sheets really, really smart. Yeah. That's, that is smart. Awesome, David. And now, Holy smoke, time flies when we're having fun. But yep. one more question. So sure. what do you find is working best for you guys these days for bringing on these investors or joint venture partners? So that's a challenge, to be honest. Um, I've been I've been advertising for JV Partners. Um, actually, do you mind if I show something on my screen, Dave? I've got kind of a profile of my investor. Well, you you could, except this is going to be an audio interview, David. So Got you might it, as well just read it out. It'll be better. No worries. Yeah. So I'm looking for people that have access to capital, at least 60K. Um, and it could be from your HELOC. You can qualify for a mortgage, even just a $300,000 mortgage with 20% down. You want to be passive, altruistic. You get to help someone earn home ownership. As I mentioned, 20% targeted annual return on a three-year yeah. deal. And you, you can commit to a three-year deal. So no, I, I, I get, I get who you're looking for. I guess yep. the question is, how are you finding them? Who are these people? And and what are you doing to avoid, you know, getting in crap with the Ontario securities commission? Yeah. So in terms of finding them, it's uh, relationships. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we started with friends and family because yeah. what better way, I mean, we were investors ourselves than brother-in-law and friends. Yeah, Those yeah. are kind of our initial ones. And then of course, once you prove it and like we are who we say we are, we we deliver what we promise and people find out, um, then it's going through sort of hubs. So different kind of real estate groups or connectors. So Liz Kelly, who you know, is, is a connector mm-hmm. and she sent an email out for, uh, on my behalf a couple of weeks ago and uh, we've gotten some attraction there. Uh, I'm doing some uh, advertising, uh, going on podcasts such as mm-hmm. uh, such as yourself. Um, again, I wouldn't say our business is not a scale business. I don't need 300 investors. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm wondering, because again, an investor, the the good and the bad of this is the, the, the bad is once the deal's done, you got to replace it with a new one. But the good is once a deal's done, you've got an investor who's happy with their 20% annualized ROI going, Hey, David, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So, so then. So realistically, what are your thoughts with the kind of volume that that you and your partner want to be doing of deals per year? Because I think you're both still working, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yep. So realistically, how many deals a year would you guys like to be doing? So for 2024, I would yeah. love to have uh, 15 to 20 deals done. All right. So 50 per year. Yes. So this year, uh, 2023, we're probably targeting six to eight to be done by the end of year. Okay. Uh, we're, we're halfway there. Uh, for next year, I'd like to grow, but not, again, reasonable Nothing growth. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, because reasonable I, growth. So control. basically, if you work backwards at this, and I don't know what volume of deals you've done yet, David, but I found that sometimes investors can do more than one deal at a time. Like once mm-hmm. they get proof of concept. Yeah. They start seeing that cash on cash return. You go, ooh, I'm, all of a sudden, ooh, they've they've got another hundred grand available that we right. didn't know about ahead of time. So you don't necessarily need, if you want to do fifteen deals in a year, fifteen investors. In fact, chances right. are, ten would probably. Ten, I was going to say ten yeah. do the trick. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's completely doable. And then, so at the at the end of the day, for the volume that you guys want to do, you probably only need. I'm going to guesstimate 20, 
about 20 core investors. And then instead of going out to the great unwashed masses, you can really be hitting it hard with referrals and testimonials from those people to their spheres of influence, right? Versus, so that's the, that's the beautiful thing about raising capital versus virtually every other business that, that you and I have been involved in David as, as marketers, typically as marketers, we're trying to go out to the entire world. Mm -hmm. In your case with, with tenant buyers, you're trying to go out to the entire community of, of Cornwall and area. You're trying to reach everybody there, but with investors, you don't need that many of them, right? So it's yeah. it, you can really laser focus and that as a marketer just makes life so much simpler. What's funny though, is that the profile of investors are random, right? So yeah, it's sometimes are. like like my brother-in-law and um, sister-in-law who have invested, they've never done rental properties. I just talked to someone today who's got 10 doors. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of all over the gamut in, in terms of who the profile is. But again, it depends on their objectives. And I'm the people who are interested in rent to own want passive. Exactly. And so that's that's who we we should definitely be targeting are the people who are looking for passive. They'd rather, you know, hand the reins over to you to take care of business for them. And they just want to make it as easy as possible. They don't want to go through the time and effort you've gone through to get educated and experienced. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, yeah. and there's certain like macro factors like uh, interest rates, right? Interest yeah, rates are worrying on people and they're worried like my my HELOC, which is sitting there, is losing value right now as interest rates go up. Can I do something with it? Right. Yeah. So that's one thought process that I've spoken to someone about. Someone else got burned by a tenant. They're like, never again. I yeah, never want to deal with tenants again. Especially in Ontario. <laughs> it's It's tough here. It's tough. Awesome, my friend. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the number one best way for them to do that? Sure. So info at renttogrowhomes.com or the website is renttogrowhomes.com. Beautiful. David, thanks so much for jumping on the call today. That's been a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Dave, for having me. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.